How lethal is COVID-19? The global Wuhan virus numbers are now released. And what is actually happening in the ICUs in Iran, Korea, Italy, and the United States? Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is March 10th, 2020, and I'm Dr. Michael Zagoda for the Spyro Podcast. I received a lot of feedback on our last podcast related to the COVID-19 slash SARS-CoV-2 slash Wuhan virus. The Spyro Podcast will be posting a Wuhan virus update every few days or so, depending on how quickly relevant information becomes available. The feedback I received was mostly emotional and obviously adulterated by the media's hype related to the current outbreak. This podcast will focus on facts, not feelings. The truth is that facts do not care about your feelings. Our sources are directly from physicians in China, Italy, Spain, and the United States, and that these are the doctors that are actually taking care of the patients at the bedside with the Wuhan virus. Publications from scientific sources may be uh, quoted, and reports via government health ministries may also be used once vetted. All of our sources will be listed on our show notes at fireside.fm.spiropodcast. In about two days or so, we hope to have this all available on our website at spiropodcast.com. Historically, viruses are labeled according to their locale of origin. On CDC or other scientific sites, the viruses are named such as 2009 H1N1 or 1968 H3N2, or the 1918 H1N1. Now, you have the SARS-CoV-2, and the disease for that specific virus is called COVID-19, which is short for Coronavirus Disease 2019. But these viruses are better recognized by the population at large by their locale. Ebola was first named after the river valley from which it was first arose and then changed to its specific area within the Ebola valley. For example, you have the Zaire Ebola virus, the Sudan Ebola virus, the Tai Forest Ebola virus. Also, you have the Bundibugyo Ebola virus, the Restan Ebola virus, the Bambali virus. Going back further, we have the Spanish flu from its primary uh, country of origin. You have the Zika virus from the Zika forest of Uganda. MERS comes from the Middle East after um, originating somewhere around Saudi Arabia, and now the Wuhan virus. In the United States, there are four traditional coronaviruses that come through seasonally every year, usually around uh, this time of year, the end of winter, the beginning of spring. These four traditional coronaviruses are usually not that devastating, but tend to affect the elderly more so than other demographics. So, to prevent any confusion, I'll be calling it the Wuhan virus, and the disease of the Wuhan virus as COVID-19 for the purpose of clarity and convenience. Now that that's behind us, let's get to the facts. The most accurate data on case fatalities is from the only natural experiment that exists, the Diamond Princess cruise. Why a cruise ship? Well, because this is a closed environment where we can accurately measure every person who gets sick and know the real number of people who perish based on that exposure. The cruise ship data shows a fatality rate of about 0.85%. All of the people that perished were over 70 years old which is consistent with coronaviruses in general, as well as the seasonal flu. 
In addition, the ability of the virus to spread was again not that impressive as only about 20% on board of the cruise ship actually got the virus. So, while this bug is nasty, it is not the middle-aged killer that the media has been making it out to be. Don't get me wrong here. I believe it is serious. A 30-year-old physician colleague in New York City has COVID-19 and is now on a ventilator. So I'm not blowing this off. What I am doing is putting it into a little perspective. What else we know is that in Wuhan, almost 25% of all those hospitalized for COVID-19 were actually the healthcare workers taking care of the initial onslaught of patients that came in. Another thing we always think about is, why are the death rates from country to country so variable? First, the death rates in the first part of any outbreak are always wildly inflated. Why? Well, they're based on only the number of people who are sick and are tested for the virus while ignoring the greater number of people who contracted the virus, get a little sick for a few days, and never get tested. When you add in all of those healthy people who shrugged the virus off in the first place, the death rates almost always plummet. There's a lot of literature out there about this. Second, there are other factors that could explain the differences. For example, two-thirds of Chinese men smoke compared to only 15% of U.S. men. China also has a severe air pollution problem compared to the United States. Let me give you a couple examples here. Los Angeles. Los Angeles is notorious for their poor air quality, measured at about 15.3 parts per million. A city the same size in China has 120.6 parts per million of particulate matter in the air. So 15.3 versus 120. In the area around Wuhan, it was as high as 155.2 on average. In the United States, the highest city of all is actually in Bakersfield, California at 18.2, um, equals that at Pittsburgh at also 18.2. So those are the cities with the poorest air quality compared to Chinese cities, which are notoriously well over 100. The lowest is like 102, with the highest being as high as 155. So we're already talking about very, very poor air quality in the first place. Now, we can say, well, doctors go to correlation doesn't equal causation. Well, of course not. But at the same time, with all the literature that we keep seeing coming out about how COPD is mostly globally not caused by smoking, but caused by air pollution and cooking over fires and whatnot, then why would we not give this the intellectual integrity it deserves by saying, you know, somebody who has literally 10 times uh, level of air pollution of, and two thirds of the men smoking within that air pollution are likely going to have some type of underlying uh, lung disease at least at a level that might make them more susceptible to not being able to clear the virus. As we know, air pollution and smoking causes the uh, cilia to basically be paralyzed. They don't sweep the garbage out of our lungs, so therefore any viruses that come in, they're going to sit in there, set up house, and then cause infection. Also, don't forget that China is also significantly denser, four to five times the density of the United States, which also, of course, would facilitate viral transmission. In addition, China has many what we call, quote, wet markets. This is where live animals are kept in tight conditions and then slaughtered on the spot to be sold as food. You honestly could not create a more perfect animal-to-human viral transmission model. In fact, it's believed the coronavirus actually began in an animal sold in these markets called a pangolin. That was on our episode 8 that we talked about previously. So, the real numbers of Wuhan virus tested compared to the deaths and recovery is broken down by country 
on the Johns Hopkins Center of System Science and Engineering. We'll get back to that after this short break. Okay, let's get down to some of the real numbers. The real numbers of the Wuhan virus tested compared to the deaths and recovery is broken down by country on this Johns Hopkins Center of System Science and Engineering. As of March 10th, there are about 118,000 infections globally. Of those 118,000, a little over 64,300 have already fully recovered, and there have been only 4,652 deaths globally. Now, with 3,024 of those, the vast majority in China alone. Italy has the worst death rate, having about 10,000 infections with 631 deaths, or close to 6%. According to the Italian Health Ministry, however, the average age of those deaths, average, was 81 years old. A colleague of mine located in the northern city of Italy told me that uh, uh, via WhatsApp, she told me that she said that her hospital has right now about 400 or more active Wuhan virus infected patients, and that patients over 75 years old in her hospital have a 30% mortality. But on the contrary, they are actually sending younger patients home that do not require supplemental oxygen, are without fevers for 72 hours, and do not have a respiratory rate of more than 20 breaths per minute. Any of those patients are going home. They are using a combination of oral anti-HIV retrovirals and hydroxychloroquine to treat these patients. A Chinese colleague of mine also on that same WhatsApp chat room in Beijing tells me that they have had only eight deaths out of over a thousand affected. All eight were over the age of 70. In China, they're using the IL-6 inhibitor Actemra, also called tocilizumab. They're using this in combination with IV steroids to treat their sickest patients with rapid results within about 12 to 24 hours seen on chest X-ray. In Iran, they've had up-to-date 8,000 infections and 289 deaths coming in at 3% mortality. In my colleague's hospital, he said they have a 40% mortality for patients over 70 years old. Only patients needing oxygen are actually admitted. Anyone with fevers are just being quarantined at home right now. Lastly, Korea had 7,500 infections and only 54 deaths coming in at less than 1% at only 0.7%. South Korea is believed to have the most accurate data, which also corroborates the numbers coming out of the Diamond Princess cruise ship, which was coming in at about 0.85%. What is actually happening at the bedside and ICUs in these countries is uh, interesting. For example, in Italy, as mentioned, they're using antiretrovirals with Plaquenil. About 5 to 10 patients are undergoing bronchoscopy. They are using disposable bronchoscopes when they do the procedure. They are only doing bronchoscopy on patients with the diagnosis is in question. They are avoiding BiPAP or OptiFlow methods of oxygenation and intubate once high-flow nasal cannula fails to keep their SATs above 88%. So they skip the middleman, they go straight from nasal cannula to ventilation. They have noticed that the mucus from the COVID-19 is much thicker than that usually seen in a typical ARDS patient. They are doing in-house testing with rapid PCR testing. They are testing both blood, sputum, sometimes stool, or even the BALs, as mentioned. In China, after many hard lessons learned, supportive care is offered until a patient has a refractory hypoxia on the ventilator. There, they have point-of-care testing for the Wuhan virus. 
At that point, they are starting the IL-6 inhibitor with methylprednisolone. Other centers there in China are using Gilead's remdesivir. This is a nucleotide agonist we talked about in yesterday's show. They're using this specifically to treat the Wuhan virus positive patients requiring supplemental oxygen or even more aggressive forms of support. Remdesivir was actually donated by Gilead and has been in place since April and May of 2019. In Japan, China, and Iran, pulmonologists are also trying stuff like nebulized interferon alpha-2b, doing this three times a day, usually nebulizing uh, 5 million units um, into about 2 mLs of liquid. Other things that have been tried are high doses of IVIG, Tamiflu, Rivabirin, Coletra, uh, with other mixed results. In the United States, remdesivir and tocilizumab, the IL-6 inhibitor we talked about, are what is being used for the sickest patients. So far, American doctors are bringing patients on high-flow oxygen over to BiPAP through a filtered ventilation system, such as that in the servo eye, and not their typical BiPAP machines, before going right on into mechanical ventilation. So they are trying to do a bridge with BiPAP. Testing is being done usually in-state and not just going straight to the CDC as it was just a couple weeks ago. They're doing it in-state, but then it is also, once positive in-state, going on to the CDC for confirmation. The ATS is actually having a COVID-19 webinar tomorrow night, but after hearing it, it is already outdated in terms of who should be tested and where to be sending the testing. I think this thing might have been recorded last week or even the week before. I'm not sure, but the information is already a little outdated. Worth listening to, but um, be wary that uh, the information in terms of what you should be doing might be a, a, at least a week or two outdated. In the United States, most large integrated systems are testing any patients with flu-like symptoms that have a negative respiratory pathogen profile, or if they have a known COVID case exposure, or if they've traveled from countries mentioned above. Included in that are New York City or Washington State. The way that testing is done in the States is that nasopharyngeal and oropharyngeal swabs are both sent simultaneously in one viral transport media. Here, we're doing real-time PCR probe testing. That is what's being done in the vast majority of U.S. labs, with only a couple of experimental antibody tests being looked at for point-of-care testing. That's it for today's show. We've deviated from our initial format just because I wanted to go ahead and get this information out as quickly as I could. So... From Mars Hill Media, this is the Spiral Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on wherever you get your podcast. If you liked what you've heard, it would be great if you would give us a five-star rating as it helps us move up the charts. And please tell your colleagues how to subscribe too. We'll be back with the latest information on the Wuhan virus as soon as it has been vetted and cooperated. Look forward to seeing you or hearing from you again soon. Good luck out there.